Now open that Bible to the book of Jonah, if you would. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jonah is where we are today. We're going through the prophets book by book, summarizing each of, the, each of the books so that we have an understanding of what the books teach. And today we come to the prophet Jonah. Jonah is a reluctant prophet, but he turned out to be the most successful missionary that the world has ever seen. That's Jonah. And here's the key concept for today. Be a grace giver, just like God. Be a grace giver. Now, as you find Jonah chapter 1, let me kind of set the stage for you a little bit. What would you feel in your heart if God's call came on your life to go to Yemen and to be a missionary to Al-Qaeda? Or how would you feel if God's call on your life came for you to go to Syria and to be a missionary for the gospel to ISIS and the fighters of ISIS? The people that we tend to be afraid of, that, that hold the world in terror, so to speak. And, and, and what if you knew for sure that when you went on that mission, God would use you to bring those people to Himself and they would be assured of a place in heaven? And what if you knew that when you preached the message and they responded, God would prosper them in life and they would be able to be blessed in tangible ways in the here and the now? Sometimes we look at a group of people and we think, well, you know, they're maybe too far gone or maybe they're too, too scary or they're too much my enemies and I don't really want to extend myself in the gospel to them. Well, that is the situation of Jonah in terms of the words of the Lord that God wants him to speak. God comes to Jonah with an assignment and the assignment is to go to his enemies, to go to the nation Assyria, the capital Nineveh, and to there preach the word of the Lord. Here's how the book begins, Jonah 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. It is the human tendency to follow our own will, to decide our own way, to look to our own direction and decisions and say, this is the way I should go. I want to be in charge. The poem Invictus, you've heard it, it says this, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that is the spirit of the heart away from God a spirit of pride, a spirit of self-will. I want to do it my way. And that's the spirit we see in Jonah. About 770 years before Jesus was alive, there was a prophet who was, who was functioning near where Jesus will be raised one day in Nazareth, in what we call now Galilee. Jesus, growing up in Galilee, heard of this prophet Jonah. He was an active prophet before God got a hold of his life and called him to go to Nineveh. He was a, a prophet uh, to, to Israel. And Jesus would have grown up hearing about this kind of hometown hero. In fact, Jesus used jo uh, Jonah as an example of his own life. Now that there should remind us of something. It speaks volumes. Because there are those who look at the story that we'll see in Jonah and see it only as a myth. See it only as a legend, not a true fact. But the Lord Jesus looked at Jonah. He knew he was a fact. He knew this story was true and he compared himself to Jonah. 
But in the middle of Jonah's ministry, God interrupted him and said, I want you to change direction. I want you to go to Nineveh. But instead of going to Nineveh, he goes in the opposite direction. Why this rebellion on Jonah's part? Was it all of pride? And maybe some of it was that streak of, I want to do things my way. I want to make the decisions of my own life. I am the captain of my fate. Maybe some of it was that. But some of it was also the assignment itself. I'm not so sure I want these people to hear about God and to be able to repent. Because these people, the Assyrians, are the up-and-coming superpower. They are vicious and a violent group. And the only reason that Israel is experiencing safety in Jonah's day is Assyria is busy with other battles. But it won't be too long. Forty-eight years after Jonah, Assyria turns westward and invades Israel from the north. And the northern kingdom, Samaria, is crushed. And so Jonah... For, to Jonah, it doesn't compute to be the one to bring the message of hope to these people, to bring the message of salvation to these people. They are such a threat to his nation. And when he hears that that's what God wants him to do, Jonah quits the ministry, he resigns as a prophet, and he runs the other direction. And we might judge Jonah because of his rebellion. We might judge Jonah because of his pride. But it's easy to look around and see all around us those who are making shipwreck of their faith simply because they don't like what God has told them to do. Or they don't like what God has told them that they can't do. I don't like what God says about who I need to marry or about who I can have sex with, about what I have to do with my money or about how I should raise my kids or what kind of entertainment I allow in my home. And since I, I derive truth based on my own standards, not God's standards, I'm going to follow my own path. That kind of rebellion happens all around us. The human spirit of pride. And Jonah is falling prey to it, and he goes in the other direction. And we miss the fact that the true posture of one who is a follower of God is the posture of surrender. That's where everything starts. I believe your will is better than my will, so I want your way. But Jonah heads the other way. But we see the relentless pursuit of God, graciously pursuing Jonah in ways that he didn't expect. Go down to verse 4. He's in the boat fleeing from the Lord, and it says, verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Please understand that this threatening wind, this scary wind, which had not only Jonah but all the sailors upset, this was an act of God's grace, not an act of God's punishment. It would have been punishment indeed if God said, Okay, Jonah, you don't want to work for me anymore? Have a nice life. Have fun in Tarshish. You're out of the ministry. You're out of my will. You no longer are working for the king of kings. That would have been punishment if he get, let Jonah have his way. But it is mercy when God reaches out with a heavy hand and sends the storm. It is grace when God uh, intervenes in our lives, even in scary ways, because sometimes grace comes in disguise. And here's Jonah experiencing grace in disguise in the storm. And he was running from God. But even in his rebellion, Jonah still had good theology. Because the sailors eventually become desperate enough to come to Jonah and to say, could this be your fault? What, what's going on with you that God has sent this storm? And listen to how he responds in verse 9. Jonah answers, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Do you catch that? 
He had already told them, I'm running away from my God. Evidently, when he told them that, that didn't register any concern for them because of what we were talking about last week. You're running away from God. Fine. There's the way into the boat. No concern. Why? Because in their mind, he's running away from the God of the land. He's running away from the God of Israel. And the God of Israel is, must be only important in Israel. And now we're escaping him. But now Jonah explains, no, 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 you got it all wrong. My God is the God who created the heavens and the earth. My God is everywhere present. He's the God of the land and the sea. And then they get terrified. What have you done? That's the kind of God that you serve? Everywhere present? Everyone's responsible to him? And then they get afraid. And with his permission, they throw him overboard. See, Jonah had good doctrine, but his good doctrine was not directing his life because in his heart he was rebelling. But Jonah at least was willing to be thrown overboard to save the lives of the sailors, and that's exactly what happens. And when he's thrown overboard, he experiences God's second measure of grace in disguise, and that is the fish, the fish that comes and swallows him. Look at verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, I wonder when it dawned on Jonah that the fish was good news. <laughs> I don't think it was immediately. I don't think as he's swimming in the ocean and all of a sudden the big fish opens his jaws, he says to himself, great, my ride. No, I don't think that's it. <laughs> I think that was bad news again. But once again... It is God's grace in disguise. Jonah didn't recognize that this was a fish that God had equipped with particularly slow digestion. Jonah didn't realize that this was a fish that had a homing beacon that would take him right to the beach where he needed to get out to go on with his journey to Assyria. And he didn't recognize that this fish had a weak stomach and he'd burp him up one day. He knew none of that. But inside the fish, things began to change for, Moses, uh, for, for Jonah. Inside the fish... He comes to the realization, God sees me even here, and he begins to pray, and he turns his heart towards God, and the, and the prophet that is fleeing the will of, the God, of, of God starts to turn to God in repentance and seek forgiveness. We know that all these ideas came to him inside the fish because of the prayer that he prays in chapter 2. Now, if you're looking at your Bibles, you see that your Bible uh, editor, the, one, the people who printed the page here, have indented chapter 2 differently than the rest of the chapters. And the reason for that, we went over this before in some other books, is when you see the indent indentations in your Bible script, that means that the, 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 the authors are writing poetry there. That's a poem. Chapter 2 is a prayer in poetic form. Now, I don't think that Moses... Uh, I'm saying Moses. I don't think that Jonah... Uh, composed poetry inside the belly of the fish. It would be a great man indeed who could compose poetry while he's being digested. He put it in poetic form after. But this is the content of his prayer inside the fish. Let's read it. Chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me from the depths of the grave. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, very often, believers get embarrassed at this point. People will look to us and they'll say, you know, you read the Bible. Do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish? And I think to myself, hold on. I believe that in the beginning, God spoke and all that is came to be. I believe 
that there is nothing that God can't do. I believe that nothing is too hard for God. So why wouldn't I believe that he has a fish who can swallow Jonah? I don't have to jump through hoops to believe that because our God is Almighty God and he's working in Jonah's life. Yes, I believe that. Sure, I believe that. And Jonah believed it too. And inside the fish, he called to God. And the disciplined prophet begins now to turn back towards God. I want you to notice, though, that really this is probably a worst-case scenario for life. Could you think of a worse situation? Being thrown off the boat as so much baggage and then swallowed by a fish and, and taken down into the depths of the sea? Don't you think you would really call that the pits? That's the pits. But God hears prayer from the pits. That's what you need to know. Because sometimes we think to ourselves, well, you know, I really can't pray to God anymore. I've been, too, I've been to too many things where I shouldn't have been to. I've done too many things I shouldn't have done. You know, I, I, I turn my back on God so often. I'm so far away from God. I'm so far gone and far off. I'm sure He's not listening to me anymore. What you need to understand is nobody's too far gone for God to hear. Jo Jonah, from the belly of the whale, asked for forgiveness and he found it. No one is ever too far gone for repentance and renewal. You are not, and no one you know is. God is ready to forgive and give second chances if we would call out to Him even from the pits. And Jonah calls, and God responds. And at the end of, of chapter 2, it says in verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And this prophet now is running with the Lord, not away from the Lord anymore. And Jonah gets a do-over. Let's read chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. It's a do-over. Don't you wish life had more do-overs, more second chances? God is the giver of second, third, fourth chances. Notice with me that when he says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, he doesn't give any indication that, you know, we've been through this already, Jonah. It's not like, finally go to Nineveh, Jonah, you dummy. It's not that. It's a clean slate. Go to Nineveh. Proclaim what I tell you. I'm giving you a do-over, a second chance, and I'm, I'm loving you in it. Now go. And, and Jonah goes. But when Jonah goes, what we find is he really doesn't have a strategy. He doesn't really have a plan. Keep on reading. Middle of verse 3 now of chapter 3. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That is his message. That's the long and the short of it. That's the entire sermon. Now, maybe he had different words, but there wasn't many more words. In Hebrew, it's just five words. Now, I call that minimalist preaching, right? Maybe you wish we had some more minimalist preaching around here. Minimalist preaching, five words. And you know what's missing from his message? Hope. There's no hope. There's no sense of unless you do this or you better do this in order to avoid this problem. There's no indication that there's any way out of this. You got 40 days. Basically, he's saying, pack your bags. You got 40 days. But the people respond as if there was hope. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. 
Look at the king, how the king responds in verse 9. The king calls the people to repentance. And in verse 9 he, said, he says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It's kind of like the king is saying, Look, this is a shot in the dark. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but let's give it a try. Who knows? Maybe God is compassionate after all. I'm not hearing it from Jonah, by the way, but who knows? And so from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. That's basically burlap. They put on burlap. And it's not just the people who put on burlap. They dress up all their animals in burlap. Read the text. Dogs, cats, donkeys, giraffes, whatever they had. They were all in burlap. Why? What a sight that would have been. All these animals in burlap. Why? Because we want God to see we're sad. We want God to see we mean business. We want God to see that we are repenting. And we believe. We believe that Jonah is a messenger from the true God. We believe that we need to change our ways. We believe in hope that God will hear our prayers and respond with mercy. So we're demonstrating repentance. Repentance is sorrowful change. That's what repentance is. Turning away from the things of the flesh and a turning towards God because I know that these things are killing me and I feel sorry for that. A lot of people today want salvation without repentance. I want all the advantages, but I don't want to be able to have to turn from the things of the flesh that were killing me. But repentance is part of the gospel. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in Mark, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Change your ways and God will hear. He will listen and he will respond in mercy. And even though the Ninevites weren't sure of it, God was sure. And look at verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. The city is saved. Nineveh uh, is pulled back from the brink. And Jonah is the most successful missionary of all time. An entire city cries out to God in repentance because of his preaching. Don't you think he'd be happy? Not so much. Read Chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. This guy is a sourpuss, even though he's doing great. What he's doing is he's quoting Exodus chapter 34 there. In Exodus chapter 34, God introduces himself by his qualities. And the Exodus chapter 34 passage where God introduces himself is the most often replicated passage of Scripture in the Bible. All through the Bible, you get this uh, list of qualities about God. And Jonah probably has preached messages from Exodus chapter 34 to his people about God's compassion and his mercy and his long-suffering, how he's slow to anger. He's preached that over and over again to his people with joy. But he's not joyful about it when it comes to the Assyrians because of his prejudice, because of the, the, the thing that he feels in his heart which says that these people don't deserve these qualities of God. And Jonah has to get over what some of us have to get over, and that is that God loves all people. And the message of hope is for all who will believe, across cultural lines, ethnic lines, language lines, whatever it is. But Jonah doesn't see it. But we need to see it. And we need to preach the God, of God the way he tells us about himself. You see, when God introduces himself, he says, first, the first thing I want you to know, I am compassionate. 
That's my default position. I'm compassionate. I care about you. Secondly, I'm gracious. I'm ready to help you. You don't have to earn my help. Thirdly, I'm slow to anger. It's possible for me to get angry, but I don't start there. Fourthly, I abound in love. Love is overflowing. Fifth, I abound in faithfulness. I am true blue. I will always be this way. You will not wake up one morning and find me different. I am forgiving. I am willing to pardon you. And seventh, I am just. I am just. I'm a just God. I care about justice. Of these seven qualities that God uses to introduce himself in, in Exodus 34, six of them, six of them are about God's mercy, his compassion, and his grace. But what did Jonah not mention? Anything about that. All he was preaching was the condemnation of God. Because Jonah does not want God to be true to his nature when it comes to these people. He wants to, to God to only punish them. But there's another issue here. It may be that the reason Jonah feels that way is because he suspects something that God already knows. And that is that these Ninevites will repent of their repentance. That these will be the people who will cycle back to their violent ways. And in the cycle back to their violent ways, they will be the one that God uses as the instrument of punishment of his people when they are caught up in idolatry. But eventually, the Ninevites will hear words from a prophet again. And that prophet is Nahum, who will be there in a few weeks. 150 years after Jonah, Nahum stands up and turns his attention to Nineveh once again, prophesies against Nineveh, but this time there is no repentance, and there is destruction, and Nineveh ceases from history. But for now, for Jonah, Jonah has a chance to see God working graciously, and he doesn't like what he sees. God has been working graciously in his own life. The storm, the fish, the call on his life to break out of his prejudice. All of this was God's grace. And the final touch of grace comes in the very last verse of the book when God explains himself to Jonah. They're going back and forth over why it is that these people, you know, deserved God's grace. And in, in, cha in chapter 4, verse 11, God explains his actions. He says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God is explaining himself to Jonah, even in Jonah's bad attitude. And that, too, is a ministry of grace. It's like a parent who says to their child, here, I want you to obey me in this. And the child turns and says, why? And the parent says, well, because this is going to be good for you. And if you do this, you're going to learn good habits and you develop good character and some, and, and some godliness in your life. And so I want you to do this. That compared to the parent who says, because I'm the daddy and I'm telling you to do it. Both of those are right. One of them is gracious. God is being gracious to Jonah here, explaining why he's doing what he's doing. And the last thing I want you to understand is this. Jonah gets it. At the end of the story, Jonah gets it. He understands that he was wrong in his prejudice and wrong in his running from God. And you know how he we know he understands it? Because we have this book. Jonah writes it as a memoir. And he could have started the book this way. He didn't, but he could have started it with these words. Let me tell you about the worst thing I ever did. Let me tell you about the worst decision I ever made and how God still loved me. Let me tell you about the worst thing in my life as I was rebelling against God and yet He pursued me. 
Let me tell you about the worst thing I allowed to happen because of my own fallen choices, and yet as God watched, he still loved. Let me tell you that story. That's the story of Jonah. And maybe that's you today. Maybe the memory of the worst thing you ever did is close at hand. And maybe you're tempted to say to yourself, I don't know after what I've done, I don't, I don't know if there's a God who still loves me. Or I hope he wasn't watching. Let me assure you, he was watching, but he still loves. And he welcomes you back. Or maybe you're here as a, a person who's following hard after God and you received grace and mercy is yours. And maybe you're tempted like Jonah to kind of write some people off by the way they look, by the way they act, not to be a grace giver. If you've received grace, you are meant to give grace because no one is too far gone for the love of God to reach. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? And I'm going to invite you, if there is a place in your heart right now where you're saying, you know, that's what I need. I need a second chance with God. You know what Jesus called that? He called it being born again. And you can get that today. Or maybe it's fresh on your mind, that worst thing you've ever done, and you need to know that the love of God is still in the forgiving business. Right here in the front by the prayer table, we have prayer counselors after every service to meet with you. They would love to assure you of the Savior's love in your life. But first, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that we're never too far gone because it's tempting to believe that lie of Satan who says that last thing we did, that last decision that we made, that last failure that was ours was just one too many and that you will let us go. Thank you that you never let us go. Thank you that you pursue us with grace. And sometimes, Lord, we don't recognize the grace when it comes. We don't understand that you getting our attention is calling us back on the path of righteousness. But, Lord, help us to be the people who pay attention and help us to be people who represent your kind of gracious love to others this week. May the words that we say and the lives that we live be a beacon of hope. And when people ask for the reason, for the hope that we have, Lord, help us to be able to say, Jesus, dismiss us with your blessing, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.